Again, today is Palm Sunday, and on that first Palm Sunday, we have Jesus entering the city. He's entering Jerusalem, and he's, there's just a crowd of people with him, and there's this explosion of celebration and of, of praise and hailing Jesus. And so where, why were all these people gathering around Jesus? The answer is, it's because of a man named Lazarus who was dead, and Jesus raised him to life. And after that, there was a number of miracles that Jesus performed, but after that particular miracle, the crowd got big and excited because this was a whole new thing, and they were recognizing Jesus as the promised Messiah, and there was a crowd of people coming from the town of Bethany toward Jerusalem, and there was another group of people who heard that Jesus was coming, came out of the city to uh, welcome him in, and they were waving the palm branches, they were laying their garments down, on the ground, they were, it became a royal processional, a royal reception, and they hailed Jesus as the king. And they did shout, Hosanna, save us, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they're shouting and celebrating. Jesus' followers, when they were writing about this event, in the Gospel of Matthew and also in the Gospel of John, They said specifically that this took place to fulfill something that was written 500 years earlier. Matthew 21, 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They're saying this act, that we witnessed, fulfilled something that was predicted many years before. And while I'm sure many of us are familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, or you find many parts of that familiar, you may be very familiar with the Gospel of John, Uh, not as many of us would be familiar with Zechariah, the prophet. And it's, but if what Jesus did fulfilled what was written before, it's good for us to look at that and to understand it. A couple weeks ago, my wife and kids were watching a movie, and I got home, and I walked in, and I sat down with them, and it was towards the end of the movie. And I said, well, what, why, is, why is she crying? And they said, shh, dad, shh. Like, well, why are they arguing with each other? Why, what, what's happening here? Shh, dad, shh. See, I missed the whole first part of the movie, and I felt like I, there was something there that if I had known what had happened before, I would, when it, it came to its fulfillment at the end of the movie, it would have made a lot more sense and actually kind of ruined the end of the movie. And then I interrupted them. Anyway, it was not the finest moment for our family. But this morning, we have a whole new opportunity, right? Because we are going to uh, together look at this prophecy from Zechariah and um, take a look at how Jesus is the promised king, the coming king of Zechariah chapter 9. And, and certainly those who follow Jesus absolutely understood him as this particular king. Now, as we look at the promised king, he is coming, and he's coming to rule, but he's coming to take prisoners. And we get this really interesting phrase in verse 12. It's printed on the back of your bulletin. It says, return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. This king is coming to take prisoners, and he's taking prisoners of hope. Hope is a powerful notion. This Again, Jesus on the Palm Sunday is fulfilling the words written 500 years previous, and he is the king who is coming, and he is the king who brought hope, who was to bring hope, 
It's fulfilled that he brings hope. And today, the good news for us is the same king brings the same hope to us 2,000 years later. Hope is a powerful notion. Hebrews chapter 6 says that hope is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hope. A famous politician once said that hope is not blind optimism. It's not ignoring the enormity of the task ahead of of us or the roadblocks that stand in our path. It's not sitting on the sidelines or shirking from a fight. Hope is that thing inside us that insists, despite all evidence to the contrary, that something better awaits us if we have the courage to reach for it and to work for it and to fight for it. That, of course, was Barack Obama, who ran his whole presidential campaigns with messages of hope. And there was all the the signs, the hope signs. And then some people who didn't like his ways had the nope signs. Remember those? Those people, you know, everybody. You may not agree with um, how that we as a country might find or fulfill our desire for hope. But you do have to agree that it's a very powerful notion. And that certainly he was able to... Obama was able to rally many people around this idea of hope. But why? Because it's not an inherently political notion, hope. But hope is something is so powerful that we just want it so bad. And people have trouble finding it. And people will easily lose hope. And we all need it so bad. And my question this morning is, do you need hope today? Perhaps you've come here and you are losing hope, or you have lost hope. Do you need hope? Is it, uh, is it because you're struggling in a relationship, or a job, or life, or health? Spiritually, whatever it is, do you need hope? I need hope today. Perhaps you do too. And as we explore this notion, I want to just pray for us as we begin. So Father God, if, if there's even one person in this room who has just lost hope in life and has been brought into despair for whatever reason, Lord. I pray that in this time that that person or however many of us there are, that you would lift us above that despair into your hope, that we might know why we can have hope and that we might experience it even this morning. And for all of us, that we would leave filled again and renewed with the hope that we can find in you, Lord. So be our teacher as we consider these ancient words. May they be alive to us through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things about hope, about being prisoners of hope. First of all, let me give you a little background. Um, Zechariah is writing to a group of people who really needed hope. This is... This is God's people. They were, they were Jews. They were, they were those who had been part of the exile. So there was a time where God was warning his people that if they did not obey him, that they, if they continued to stray from their covenant uh, relationship with their God, that there would be punishment for that. And the Babylonian kingdom came in, and the people were exiled, and they were living in exile in Babylon But then Babylon fell to Persia, and there was a Persian king who allowed the Jews to go back to their land to rebuild their home. But when they got back, it was pretty destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Uh, There was a bunch of foreigners and foreign powers. Their neighbors were angry and 
oppressing them, and they had weak leadership and lots of oppression, and it was just not a good time. And this is a prophecy that was given through the prophet Zechariah to these people who were back in their homeland, and the encouragement was, build, rebuild the temple, please. Keep the work going, finish the temple, and it's, it's going to be good, and God is still at work. God is still faithful to his covenant promises, and there's a coming king. And get yourself ready for this king. This is the central figure of the prophecy, was the Messiah king, who was coming to bring peace and coming to save the people and to do away with all these enemies. And, and God's people are precious to God. They are still his special possession. They are a jewel to him, as the prophecy says. God will strengthen his people. He'll have compassion on them. And this passage today, again, which was fulfilled on that first Palm Sunday, describes the king in this fascinating notion that the king takes prisoners of hope. Three things about prisoners of hope. The first is this. God is the one who makes you a prisoner of hope. You have to be captured by God to experience the hope that he was bringing. And when we talk about faith, we talk a lot about freedom of faith, but here we're talking about a captivity, which is interesting. Because being a prisoner of hope puts you under the control of hope. Think about a prisoner. Whether you're a prisoner up in Middleton or in Framingham or whatever prison you go to. Think about being a prisoner. You are completely under somebody else's control. Every decision is made for you. When you, can, when you get up, what you eat, how you dress, where you sleep, all those decisions are not under your control. You are under the control of another. It was that uh, one of my favorite movies, Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It was a Stephen King book that was made into a movie. And, you know, there was this one character, Brooks, who had been in prison, incarcerated for so much of his life, and he was released in his older age, and he didn't know how to function without somebody controlling him. And he, had, he could not survive on the outside world because he didn't know how to have a job or to, to do anything without being told. And that image, it's just thinking about, well, what would it mean if I was a prisoner of hope, where hope controlled everything that I did, that I was so completely controlled by hope. And here's how God does it. The king comes, look at verse 11. It says, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. So you're already a prisoner in this pit, and a pit means you are trapped, you can't get out, and it's waterless, which means this pit you're trapped in, you're going to die. It's hopeless, and you are trapped, and if there's, it will bring death. But because of the blood of the covenant, verse 11, we're freed from that pit and brought to be a new type of a prisoner, a prisoner of hope. But it's because of the blood of the covenant. Well, what's the blood of the covenant? The blood of the covenant was about God's promises that he was making to his people. Now, you get Zechariah, let's say about 500 years before Jesus, Another 1,500 years before that, we have the God of the universe making promises to people, saying, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and this is a covenant that's going to be ratified with the, with the blood of animals. This is a blood covenant that God would promise to, um, to bless these people and to bless the entire world through his people. 
And that is God's promise, and it is good. And because of that promise, it will be fulfilled. But here's what happens. In order to fulfill that promise, God has to suffer. Because the promise got broken, and it wasn't broken by God. It was broken by his people who were unfaithful to him. Later in the prophet Zechariah in chapter 12, 10, it says, they will look on me, the one they have pierced. So the king is coming to save, but the king is pierced or wounded. Zechariah 13, on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. So the king is coming to save and the king is pierced and from that is a flow of forgiveness from sin and forgiveness from impurity. This is Jesus. This is clearly Jesus. And and his followers knew that this was being fulfilled in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. Blood of the covenant, this week on Thursday night, we call Maundy Thursday, where Jesus gave his great commandment. It's also the night that he instituted a meal where he took wine and he said, this is blood of a new covenant, my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And 500 years earlier, we have a king who says is, who is pierced and bringing forgiveness of sins. It's, this is Jesus. And this is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Blood is required in this covenant because blood gives life. If you lose your blood, you lose your life. And God gave us life. But we took that life and rebelled against God. We rebelled against his promises, against his law, against his covenant. But he comes to save us. In order to save our lives, he had to give his. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Because of our sin, because of our failure, he comes, he dies in our place, and we are given his life and his righteousness. That's the blood of the covenant. And what that does for us, verse 12, says, return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. We now have hope and new life. And it says, even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Not only are our sins wiped out, but we receive Jesus' goodness. We receive his righteousness. God credits that, that to us. We receive his spirit and new life. We are restored more than we could have ever have dreamed because of what Jesus accomplished. He takes us from the waterless pit into a a, a new hope. He takes us from a hopeless end to an endless hope. That's not original to me, but I loved it. From from a, a hopeless end to an endless hope. We want that type of prison. That's a good prison. Make me a prisoner of hope. Lock me up and throw away the key. God does this for you. The point here is that you can't just choose to be more hopeful. And I saw a video this week of a teacher, kind of a motivational speaker, sort of claiming Jesus, but I'm not sure they really understood Jesus. They said to a group of people, hey, hope is a choice. And if you just choose to be more hopeful, you can walk out of here hopeful because you're just choosing to think hopeful thoughts and to be hopeful. My point here is that hope isn't something deep within us that we need to conjure up. Hope is something that is given to us through what Jesus already accomplished. And God wants to give it to you, but he has to capture your heart for you to become a prisoner of hope. And we are going to just, and that's why it's so elusive to us, why we lose hope and why we can't find hope, because we think it's somewhere in here, and it isn't. It's something that God is giving to us. 
that we can then operate from and then we can then allow to control our thoughts and allow to control our lives and that we can take with us. So this week, we're going to remember the cross. We're going to remember what Jesus did. We're going to remember his body and his blood. We're going to gather here in this room on Thursday night and we're going to receive communion and we're going to reflect together, consider Jesus' sacrifice. We're going to gather on Sunday morning at the Collins Center and we are going to celebrate the resurrection and we are going to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ for each other and for our community as, as we gather together. That death is, that there is hope even beyond the grave, ultimate hope because of Jesus. And we're going to spend this week reflecting and celebrating these things because that's our hope. And Palm Sunday is all about the hope. Look at verse 9. The king is coming, righteous and victorious. Verse 10, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. This is, not just a, this is not just happy hope. It's not just optimism. This is a movement of God in the world that we can be part of. And we know that it's a global movement to the ends of the earth. And we support work in faraway places because we know God is doing this and bringing this hope in all these places and to us. And that's the first thing, that God captures us and makes us prisoners of hope. Controlled by hope because of what Jesus did. Second thing, prisoners of hope don't just sit around. We're not just locked in a cell. There is a work release. We are on work release, and we're not on a chain gang picking up trash on the highway. We are now sent as prisoners on this release that a prisoner of hope becomes a messenger of hope. That's the second thing. A prisoner of hope becomes a messenger of hope. You operate from a place of hope that God has given you, and now you can share that with others. Uh, the chapter before this, in Zechariah's vision, chapter 8, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard God is with you. You can't make somebody else a prisoner of hope but you can live as a prisoner of hope and people will see that God is with you and that you have hope. And that is attractive, that is powerful, that is authentic. People see it and people want it. Again, we, didn't, we have all these new members and I have the great privilege of reading all of their journeys of faith, how God captured their hearts and brought them into his family. And one of the things I noticed uh, a number of times in these testimonies was how People came to faith in Jesus and their family members, their spouse or children or others who they were close to then came to faith because of, the, of what happened in their own heart, that it became contagious in their family or to their friends. And you see how God works where we receive hope and now we are a messenger of that hope. Because what happens is as you live as a messenger of hope, people in the pit say, wait a minute, I'm in a pit a waterless pit, and I need to get out of this pit. How do I get out? I need hope. I, 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 this, this death pit that I'm in needs to be dealt with, and there's this anticipation of God's grace as they see it working out in someone else's life. And Jesus was, Jesus was the ultimate messenger of hope. He said, Jesus said that he was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, and again, I love all the prophecy that's fulfilled in Jesus. But Jesus came and he said, I'm fulfilling what it means to preach the good news and to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort those who mourn, 
to bring a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, to rebuild ancient ruins and to restore places devastated and to renew ruined cities. This is, Jesus said, in me, all these things are fulfilled. He is the ultimate hope. And then we, he said, now you are my witnesses of this, and you will receive power by the Holy Spirit that you can go and you can bring the same message of hope to the world around. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. You you are a prisoner of hope, and somebody's going to say, What is the hope you have? And you need to say, Jesus. And honestly, it could be as simple as just inviting somebody to, to, to come and join us for Easter. You know, and this is, my prom- this is my promise to you. To the best of my ability next week, I will, we're going to celebrate, and it's going to be fun, and there's going to be a lot of people. Uh, I will do everything I can to make the good news of Jesus Christ clear and understandable that Perhaps uh, those who gather, even in that time, our prayer is that God would use our words and our song to point people to his love, that they might understand the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that could mean for them. It's for us. We'll celebrate it, and we'll make it clear to those who join us. And we can just invite people. I won't embarrass you or your friends if, if they come, but, you know, back in 2013, we were in here, I remember, and we were just... You know, we couldn't fit everybody in this room, even with multiple services and trying to turn over the parking lot. And, and people had to give up their seats and sit outside. And families had to sit, you know, mom and dad are over there. And the kids are over here. And grandma and grandpa are over there. And so we wanted to have a place. So that's why we go off-site. We love worshiping here. But we go there because there's plenty of seats, plenty of parking. People can sit together and worship together and explore Christ together. And we have a great opportunity to invite our community, to invite our family. And that's just, if, if that's on your heart, you could, that's something any of us could do. We are messengers of hope. So God makes us prisoners of hope. We become then messengers of hope. And then lastly, and I'll fly through this, um, prisoners of hope begin to have a character of hope. So you start to look like a prisoner. So if somebody's in jail for a really long time, sometimes you can tell if they have prison tattoos or if they have just kind of a hardened criminal look. So if you are a prisoner of hope, you're going to have a hardened or maybe a softened uh, character that people will know that you've been doing time as a prisoner of hope. And you get some of these characteristics. Three of them begin with P. One is a passion for Jesus. First Timothy 1.1, Christ Jesus, our hope. You realize that your hope is Jesus, and then you begin to speak of Jesus and uh, walk with Jesus, and Jesus becomes, you become consumed with Jesus. Everything's about Jesus, so it's passion for him. Secondly, power, power of the Holy Spirit. Earlier in Zechariah, and there was a leader named Zerubbabel who was just so discouraged, and the prophet says to him, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, that it's, the, it's not your strength, it's the strength of God's spirit, and we receive the Holy Spirit's power to live this out. Thirdly, patience, prisoners of hope, Show patience. Romans chapter 8. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. 
that the hope we have in the Lord brings about a patient. So whatever your situation, if it's a wayward child or a, 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 a health thing or the whatever the issue is that you are losing hope, we can be patient in prayer, persistent in prayer, because you're not relying on yourself or your own willpower, but God's power, and we can have patience. Passion, power, patience. Three C's. We can have compassion. 1 Corinthians 1.5 describes the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up in you, that this hope that we now have is is coming out of us as love and compassion to others. You see other people wandering. You see them in their pit. And you can, again, show compassion and show love because of what you've received. Um, Contagious faith. Again, being that messenger. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Compassion, contagious faith, Courage. 2 Corinthians 3.12 Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. If you have this hope, we don't need to hide it. We don't need to be ashamed of it. We don't have to worry that people will think we're weird because you're all into Jesus and into like all that religious stuff. You say, look, I have a hope. And we can be bold. And those are the types of characteristics that you start to get as a prisoner of hope. So we have hope because God makes us these prisoners. We become messengers of that hope and then a character of hope. So let us live as prisoners of hope. I pray that you would trust the king, that you'd put your faith in him. If for any reason you are losing hope or have lost hope, trust the one who can bring ultimate hope to you this morning. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our victory. Jesus is our hope. Amen.